0: Hello and welcome to the Imagine Media Futures podcast. I am your host, Teja Snyder, a new media artist and co producer of the IMIT Media Arts Festival. This series features insightful conversations between Australian and Indian creatives about the future of independent media and creative ecosystems while discussing business remodeling and adapting through the pandemic cross-cultural collaboration and strategies for effective audience outreach and engagement in the post-COVID-19 world. We hope that this series will act as a catalyst to forge sustainable collaborations between Indian and Australian practitioners to creatively respond to future opportunities. The Media Futures Podcast is brought to you by AsiaLink Arts, the Australian Consulate General in Mumbai and IMIT Media Arts Festival. Today we have two incredible guests. Who we're going to speak with about the idea of digital identity and digital existentialism. I'm joined today by Akshat Noreal and Betty Sargent. Uh, how are you both doing?
1: Great, fantastic, good to be here. Great to see you both.
2: Yeah, great to be here and doing as well as one can do in a post-pandemic world. I guess let's get that out of the way right at the in the beginning.
0: No, absolutely. It's a, it's an absolute pleasure to have both of you on here and to be able to have this conversation. Um, as uh, both of you are aware, we were all part of a, uh, a series of uh, events that took place back in 2019 at IMIT Festival. Uh, Betty was a part of an amazing delegation. Uh, we were able to host uh, around IMIT Festival courtesy of uh, Asia Link Arts and uh, the Australian High Commission and Consulate. Um, Akshat, you were part of uh, the IMIT I'm with the team as well presenting and speaking uh, on new media and your work. And this podcast has essentially come uh, from that uh, intervention to, to build dialogue and, and, and see if there are potentials to build exchange and uh, new work, possibly. Um, so yeah, very excited. And uh, we're going to talk about some fun things. But before we get into it, uh, if I could just ask each of you to give us a brief introduction on yourself and the work that you do.
1: Um, well, I'm Betty Sargent and I collaborate um, with another artist, Justin Dwyer, um, and together we're known as Plug In Human. And we make um, immersive art installations and um, light sculptures really around projection mapping and LEDs. Um, and so we have this kind of um, combination, I suppose, of Organic and digital processes that we use because we work a lot with environmental themes, um, but we also work a lot with progressive technologies. So, most of our work's in either galleries, museums, or festivals, both indoor and outdoor.
0: Fantastic, thank you for sharing. And
2: Akshat, how about you? Hey, um, I'm Akshat Norial, and I'm a new media artist, filmmaker, and musician from New Delhi. Um, a lot of my work revolves around looking at working with emerging technologies and looking at its uh, interaction with human beings and how modern sort of ideologies and things manifest in terms of the technological realm of, you know, idea of the philosophy, like existentialism or um, looking at the impact of uh, technology on human behavior and psychology and, you um, I try to do that through different mediums, from ranging from film uh, to you know augmented reality, um, both manifest in forms of either moving image or some kind of interactive um, experience for people. So that's the space that I occupy as of right now, but it also does keep changing. Um, over the years, I've been through many mediums, but at core, I think the idea is to be able to create human-centric experiences, even if it is using technology, which is as far from being human as possible. So that's sort of where I'm at right now.
0: Fantastic. Thanks for sharing, Akshat. And there's something I noticed uh, that's kind of synonymous in what both of you spoke about, which is uh, the idea of uh, this experience being human and how technology can uh, sometimes do a fantastic job of uh, building those experiences, but often be on the edge of uh, not such a human experience after all. Um, I want to ask you both, what is... Um, what does the term digital identity or digital existentialism actually mean to you in the context of your work? And I ask this not just from the lens of a creator but also from the lens of the audience that is consuming uh, this work over various platforms or various mediums. Um, Betty, would you like to go first?
1: In some respects, I think digital existentialism for me, speaks around the ephemeral nature of a lot of um, real-time digital work. So work that isn't rendered, but work that's drawing on data and producing the work in the moment. And that work isn't... um, That artwork isn't sort of able to be captured or formed in any real tangible way. It's ephemeral. And, of course, we document these works and so we video... um, And, you know, with video and audio, and so they are sort of captured in time. But in its essence, there's a beauty in that sort of ephemeral nature of it. And there's a sort of magic that occurs in the moment of the art creation. And there's a different experience when you're watching the documentation online, on socials, or um, the different places that, that... you see them, but if you're actually in the gallery, in the um, exhibition itself, or, you know, at the festival where, where um, the artwork is occurring, there's, um, yeah, there's a real beauty in the ephemeral nature of it. And I think that there's something about the audience experience of that magic of being because many of the works that I make and also that Akshat makes are um, are interactive, and and by that, you know, I'm not really asking the audience to kind of press a button and change things from, say, red to green, but much more integrated, like we designed a brain-computer interface and so audiences could use their neural function to change the audio and the visuals in an exhibition space. And so that experience of them being kind of inside the creation of the artwork and integral to it is sort of um, beyond human-centred design in a way um, and goes to the idea of participatory design where the work doesn't exist without the audience um, and the audience's input. It's simply not there. So alongside this kind of feeling that the existential um, this digital existentialism speaks to the ephemeral nature of it. Perhaps it also somehow speaks to the relationships that we build with audiences and the the integrated ways that audiences are involved in these works. And they're there and gone. They they're not they're not tangible. We can't we can't hold them. They're not fixed in time. They're not going to be fixed throughout time. And there's something. Um, very grounding about that as an artist.
0: Absolutely. Some very strong food for thought there. Uh, Akshat? Yeah, I'm still reeling
2: with what all Betty just said. But uh, um, no, a lot of, a lot of uh, I draw a lot of from what she's also said. For me, the idea of digital existentialism actually is something that I've been uh, probing for a while. It actually came from initially just from a search for, for, for my own practice and looking for authenticity and uh, purpose and identity in work in general because that draws from the idea and philosophy of existentialism to begin with and um, in my search uh, in my research I found this one article by David Christopher Lane um, which actually phrased (coughs) this term of digital existentialism And, and it was this piece which was talking about how You know uh, the way technology is emerging that the future will not just uh, change us but it will absorb us almost and we can already see that happen in lots of ways and how these devices that we use have just become extensions of ourselves and of our identities and things so um, for me it's been interesting to look at how technology has evolved but also how humans have um, human behaviour also is evolving constantly with it Um, and through that journey I feel that you know, the, the humanity has a way of introducing things into um, into the world uh, and start using these technologies and, and things that are created for good, but there's not any actual uh, impact study and it's only in hindsight that we are able to assess what these tools that we're introducing into the world actually do to the people that are using them or to the world around us and um, from that, from that perspective i feel that's that existentialism in a way is quite a defining um, philosophy of our time especially with the way the the social media platforms also create um, you know questions of of purpose and of meaning and people are constantly looking at finding ways of representing themselves and expressing themselves but also getting alienated further and further from who they are because of the nature of these platforms so for me, that's the idea behind my sort of journey with digital existentialism, and that sort of manifests in, in ways where either it's um, looking at the impact of these tools on, on human behavior and how people are engaging with these platforms, or sometimes it's just um, an expression, a self-expression of this idea of uh, authenticity, because I feel that's at the core of it for, for my process, at least.
0: Lovely. Uh... This, this actually leads me to ask a, a question that just popped uh, off to the top of my head, is that uh, so much of what the both of you say seems so synonymous with the Uh, internet age we live in, where the world just starts to seem smaller and smaller. But I still feel that there are unique possibilities that emerge in various parts of the world through uh, digital expression. Uh, I'd just love to hear from both of you about any unique examples that uh, you might know of that uh, in both countries, Australia as well as India, whether it's local, hyperlocal, or national, of where you've seen uh, digital exp- uh, expression really shine through uh, and represent the culture of each uh, nation. Um, these could be your own projects or uh, projects that you might have seen or movements even.
1: Um, well, I suppose coming from an Australian perspective, it's difficult to encapsulate Australia into a single culture. So I'm not going to speak to culture so much because I think in Australia, we have just so many cultural inputs. But from my own perspective, um, in 2020, you know, during the pandemic, when the internet really had this kind of, I don't know, third third wave uprising, <laughs> because um, so many people were, you know, in in their homes. Um, Many people were, anyway. Um, And we made an artwork called I Miss Your Touch, Um, and this is an online artwork interactive video where we place two people who are in separate locations into a shared virtual environment. And it responds to people's movement, Um, so that people can't talk to each other, but it's all in real time. So it's um, via their web stream, and we um, animate and affect the um, participants' movements in real time. So it's a real interaction between the participants and us, the artists. And it provides them with closer social and physical connections and also a connection with art during pandemic times when we didn't we didn't have you know these um these close touch connections anyway in Australia um and they were so much more limited and we had the world's longest lockdown. I think we're still on record as having that here in Melbourne. And so we became very um, studied, if you like, at what lockdown is and how crazy it can actually make you. Um, And this artwork really helped um, draw connections between people. And the thing we didn't expect from it was this experience of virtual touch the the participants would constantly say that they felt like they were physically in the same room as their friend, even though their friend was you know remote somewhere else, and they could physically hold them and um and and in, embrace them and dance with them. And um, touching on what Akshat was saying before about digital existentialism, you know, there's this great um, um, psychologist, Sherry Turkle who's written a book, Alone Together, and the, you know, the title encapsulates, you know, the, her um, summary of what the internet and social media is doing to particularly young brains. She specialises in looking at, um, at children and teenagers. but um, And we were already in that kind of alone together um, headspace, if you like. And because we were all operating with our heads stuck in our phones and our computers um, as being and weighing them as being those experiences of being having a much higher priority than a face-to-face experience, because we'd still look at our phone while someone else is talking to us, for example. And this has now been further exacerbated by many people being locked up in their homes and these pandemic conditions um, and, and people having this sort of distance and not being able to, well, in many places, um, choosing not to touch each other or not being allowed to because of rules or laws or however it's working across the globe. It's again shifting us further into this sort of alone together situation. Um, And I Miss Your Touch was really leaning in towards that and one way in which we can draw the positive aspects of digital existentialism into people's lives and use it to create deeper physical and social connections between people as opposed to separate them more.
0: Absolutely. I, I completely resonate with what you said there, Betty. I feel that the, the, the idea of digital existentialism has just been taken to a whole new level because of the, the, the last 12 months that we've had. It's, um, and it's always had a stigma attached to it between generations where younger people seem to embrace it much quicker than, and than people who've, who've seen the evolution of how uh, technology has come this far. Uh, Akshat, uh, your thoughts on this?
2: Yeah, so just like Betty said, I feel like India is also, uh, there are many Indias within India and for us also to be representative we're a small, small, small minority of the people and the landmarks and, and the identities and cultures that are out there. So um, I'll also probably speak more in context of the digital sort of culture that exists today. And um, I'd done this installation earlier, last year in collaboration with a Swiss artist called Mark Lee, which is called Unfiltered and it looked at um, how... The fact that a, India is going to be the youngest, it is in fact the youngest nation, or the nation with the youngest population in the world right now, um, and with the, uh, the 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 spread and access to smartphones, because cheaper smartphones have you know permeated through most parts of India right now. So the access to internet and media platform, social media platforms, has increased tremendously. And the installation looked at the idea of uh, it was a speculative uh, installation, which contemplated whether you know social media tools can be used as a platform for social change say for example on a platform and we looked at a platform like TikTok because TikTok has been able to really um, reach uh, a set of people which were initially alienated from platforms like uh, Facebook well maybe not Facebook that much but definitely Instagram where Instagram to a certain extent is for the urban uh, markets and urban populations a platform like TikTok was able to permeate through the BNC towns where um, people from those places were also for once uh, able to create content and express themselves on a platform which was speaking to other people who wanted similar sort of content and they saw their own identities represented, which was earlier never the case on these other platforms, which is slightly elitist. And the 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 concept and the idea with that was that say a hashtag like Stop Rape, um, which is a very valid um, sort of idea and thought in today's India, which is women empowerment and women rights, um, and that's something that has been an issue for generations in India. Um, A hashtag like that was, say, viewed some 3.2 billion times, right? The videos were viewed that many times. And the question that it posed was that if people are subjected to positive social change messaging, can that actually lead to some kind of change in the future? Because you are talking about young people absorbing content at an influential age. um, And can that lead to some kind of systemic change in the future? And so the installation aggregated content around certain hashtags, uh, which spoke of social ideas and social messaging and also curated um, a whole set of people and a whole range of people that were creating content on this platform, which is very different from all the other platforms that exist, right, and what that also has done is that because technology and the tools that have been given to them have also enabled them for self-expression, so a completely new kind of visual aesthetic and language has also come out as a result. So the installation looked at the idea of democratization of creative expression, but also from the lens of can these platforms lead to some kind of social change and of course there's uh, it has to be taken with a pinch of salt because you know there's a, a, i guess optimistic pessimism in that way where uh, you hope that it can but there is no empirical data to uh, support that claim which is why it's a question and not uh, a claim um, but i feel like that's w- where india is right now as well that there is a large population which is um, which is mobile like literally in terms of being able to have that access and wh- where that is headed is is a big question because um, just like there's positive social change content, there's also a lot of uh, negative, you know, uh, fake news and and trolling and and all of those things that are also equally um, per- pervasive on these platforms.
0: So, absolutely, uh, I think. Um... The project you mentioned is a, is, a, is a fantastic example. I do think that the, the, the way social media is evolving in India is quite a unique one, as opposed to many other parts of the world, just because, purely because of the size of uh, our young population. Um, I want to ask you both also about um, what are your speculations as creative practitioners within the space of digital media of, of the long-term effects uh, and impact uh, on on things like culture and arts um, by the adoption of these technology based tools uh, do we in some way uh, evolve those practices to now be solely technology driven or or is there is there a balance somewhere that that you think might shift
1: it's difficult to really project <laughs> into the future and accurately but I can see that there, there might be a, uh, more of a mix of things um, in the future. And by that I mean if you're running an event in an art gallery that it's much more likely that it will be streamed as well as being live. And we have more than ever, um, particularly many people in Australia, this desire to connect in real life with other people because we've been starved of it. And once the pandemic's over, I think that there will be a real flood of in real life, um, um, experiences and many of them will be driven by arts and culture. And, um, but equally, um, I was just in a session yesterday talking about, um, you know, disability and and people with mixed abilities, and how they've been needing these kind of video streaming of different events. Um, so it opens up the access to it. They've been you know calling for this for such a long time in Australia, and in some respects, what's happened in terms of opening up different events to um, streaming and viewing it online as opposed to having to be there in person has opened it up for a mix of audiences, um, which allows for people who um, can't afford to travel there, can't travel there for various reasons, have mixed abilities, um, and you know, the whole variety, the plethora of um, situations that people are in that can put barriers in the way of them accessing art. At the same time, this adds... This sort of uh, dual presentation, a mixture of in real life and streaming, adds a real pressure to an already pressured arts industry. One that's largely around the world, underfunded and under resourced, and run by people who are needing more sleep, frankly, and more support. <laughs> uh- and so now they're, ex- they're you know moving moving out of this these pandemic times as wonderful um, as some of these opportunities are in terms of opening up different events more broadly, it places more pressure on the staff and um, and post COVID you know arts budgets are getting tighter along with everybody else's budgets um, or many other industry budgets not all um, and. And this will just be one other thing that will have to be squeezed in somehow to festivals um and events. So there's complexities with that.
2: um to be honest, I really value the tangible experience. So I come from you know I, before anything I am a drummer. That's what I started with my journey started being a drummer in the live music scene. and um, I
1: didn't know that. and actually i I started as a um as a percussionist in a in a band as well, and Justin, who I collaborate with, is a drummer. So uh-huh. sorry to butt in there, but I've, uh, I've known Akshat for, a, you know, uh, we met in 2019, and uh-huh. and I didn't know that about you, so that's really sweet. We have that in common as well. Excellent.
2: Sorry. We have a drummer's union going here. Excellent.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs>
2: Uh, you know like I said, so I'm, I'm coming I come from like a music uh, background where the the idea of uh, a live show and like the tangibility of that experience is uh, profound right like and for me I still despite as much as I appreciate people doing online concerts, I just can't get myself to get into them because I just feel that it's uh, I'd rather watch a YouTube video of a recorded performance and you know even though there's complete value in it, so don't get me wrong, I'm not disregarding that but I still feel that the actual experience of being in person and and being able to be in a space and immersed in that um, mood or scene that's created by an artist has its value Um, and it's ironic because a lot of the work that I do is digital um, which means that especially with the augmented reality work that I do it's on your phone and you know you need people to be on your phone to experience things and with my Other project that I have, which is called Yes, No, Maybe. Uh, A lot of the work is around the, uh, around looking at how uh, live experiences can also have uh, immersive augmented reality experiences, which can be triggered on live. But from the other side, as an artist, I hate being on stage and look at people on their phones, you know. Um, so that dichotomy is interesting and it's only increased over the years and it's only going to increase over the years and um, I keep fighting myself with that internally as well uh, being between the performer who's on stage looking at people on their phones and also then being the creator who's creating things which are encouraging people to be on their phones so um, in that sense uh, that's that's a bit of uh, uh, some kind of a thing to grapple with but like uh, Betty said I also feel that it will be a balance of both I also feel that These tools for online streaming and uh, sort of online communities have existed for a while. Um, It's only during the pandemic that people have suddenly realized the value in them and the value of that experience. Um, And that I think is interesting because going forward, that might be a consideration to start off with rather than just being uh, something that's a tangible, non-virtual and real life experience. And, and of course, a hybrid is bound to happen, but I definitely do value the idea of an in-person experience in a space to be immersed in, um, you know, some kind of a mood that an artist can create and I'm all for it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think Betty uh, has indicated she agrees with that as well. And uh, I do believe that, you know, as powerful as technology can get, it, that there's still something really special about being in a space where you experience something that sends goosebumps down your spine. And, you know, it's it's still very, very hard. Technology can do some amazing things, but it's still very hard to uh, get that out of a digital experience. Um but I, I want to draw on an interesting point that you mentioned, Akshat, which is that the pandemic is what shed this uh, bright light all of a sudden on things that have been around for quite some time now. But it's only when we were all locked in our uh, respective houses or in the state of this um, you know, bubble where we can't physically be in the same space is when a lot of this has, has um, gotten this uh, immense importance all of a sudden. Um, and focusing on the pandemic and the lockdown, I'd like to know about both of your experiences um, as individuals, as organisations that you work with, uh, what was that experience like and how, how A, did the the pandemic impact your work and, B, how did it then uh, lead you to maybe pivot or think through newer ways of presenting and creating your work?
1: The biggest positive takeaway, um, if there can be a positive from this, is um, feeling that for more than more than ever I feel in the moment um, and I feel only able to control the moment. And that's our reality anyway, as humans. and we have very little control whether you can control the moment or anything. actually, I don't agree with that. actually, I, I said that, but I think it's more experiencing the moment. <laughs> um, and and I think that we have this sense that w- this sense of control, we used to have this sense of control perhaps over our lives and about the, um, events that were occurring. And this pandemic has really helped highlight that that isn't really true. Um, and I suppose that's become reflected in our work in many ways. We were already working in real time. Um, and, we were already working digital, we were um, most of our work was installation work in a gallery. So we had a few installations that we were working on longer term, there were challenges of moving out of our studios and into it and making, you know, massive artworks um, in a domestic space. That was pretty challenging, because I think I was was saying to you before the recording began is that one of them, I couldn't fit it out the front door, so it had to be assembled outside. And then... the um, it wasn't being collected um, it was all crated up and because it's touring for three years but it wasn't being collected until the following morning, and so I had to chain it up outside this work that I'd been designing for two years you know these sort of uh, very delicate electronics that I don't want to be sitting outside had to chain them up to this thing outside and cover them in tarpaulins and you know the kind of stuff that you would never actually do. Because your studio space is, our studio space is generally equipped for making that size of work, um, so yeah, we made. I miss your touch. So we shifted some of our you know real time skills to interactive video, um, and we've been working a lot in environmental art projects, eco art, and this sort of combination of slow, handcrafted, organic structures mixed with um, some really progressive hardware. We're looking at ways that we can actually capture and store carbon in our work. So we had this sort of thread going through and it's become, due to the really quiet nature of the world around us directly here in Melbourne and particularly at certain lockdown times, our practice became... Um, quite still and a lot to do with organic materials um, and really investigating this combination of, and I still don't quite understand. I mean, I know why I love organic materials and I know why I love electronics, but we're still kind of working towards how that's realised into... And a new project. Um, so that was that's was some of the thinking that happened on the ground, and of course, you know, we were just creating other artworks as well um, as doing this these research investigations.
0: Awesome. Uh, thank you for sharing. And Akshat, how how about your practice and and its uh, its course over the last year? I mean, the I. Guess I can speak for a lot of people that the last year has been interesting to say the
2: least, um, and it hasn't been linear. Uh, it's had its sort of waves of sometimes productivity and, like Betty said, exactly what Betty said about stillness. That there's also been a lot of stillness, which one has had to understand and grapple with. And but I feel that in a way, that stillness has also helped to reassess priorities, reassess um, you know the idea of what the work is what it means, like the longevity of something that one creates. Because I feel like, for me especially, it's uh, really put into context this idea that, you know, for over the past few years with the way people are producing and consuming content, there's this idea of instant gratification um, where you produce something just for a fleeting second that, like, this this one statistic that's always thrown around um for especially making films or for uh, digital consumption that oh you have to grab people's attention in the first three seconds um and th- that's what translates to them watching the film or not and i really feel that that's a very sad state of being um for any kind of content producer at least because if you're only catering to um, a very sort of goldfish memory kind of um you know, audience, which the audience really aren't. It's discrediting the audience by saying something like that, I feel as well. So I feel like those are ideas that I've uh, been looking at in terms of the meaning of the work and the longevity of the work and being able to create something which doesn't necessarily aspire for instant consumption but for more uh, nuanced and 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 um, a sort of deeper look and a deeper approach. Um, But it was also a time for skill learning. Um, I feel like for a lot of people and for me personally, for sure, it's been a time where I've been able to explore uh, all the mediums that I work with, but also try and tie them together. And um, the Yes, No, Maybe project that I've uh, been working on over the past three years was something that wasn't being able to see the light of day. And thanks to the pandemic
0: has finally seen the light of day. I also get this sense from what both of you mentioned that uh, a lot of your work is also collaborative in nature uh, in the sense that you've both built projects with close collaborators, collaborators in different parts of the world Uh, as well as locally. And there's also a sense of collaboration I think you share with your audiences uh, because of the nature of the work. Uh, I'd love to know about your thoughts on what the landscape of remote collaboration uh, has looked like over the last few years and more importantly during uh, lockdown and the pandemic. And, And also... The impact of that, in the sense that has it now opened new avenues for collaboration, has it maybe uh, presented new opportunities for for uh, building work that maybe didn't exist as easily uh, earlier, uh, Betty?
1: Yeah, well, a lot of pre-pandemic, a lot of collaboration, um, of course, it happened online and remotely for people who weren't um, situated in the same place, but a lot of the time it involved travel. And we had this assumption that we would, um, you know, travel to different locations. And now that's been highlighted by the events of 2020 as as not being that important. It's not important that we necessarily, you know, do the huge amount of travel that, you know, we'll particularly say that we used to do um, with our practice. And I think it's opened us up um, a lot more to... The powers of uh, video conferencing and and how much can be achieved remotely. So I think that moving forward, there again, it'll be a combination of um, there's something beautiful when two humans are in the same space, and it's like what Akshay was saying before about experiencing the art in real life when you're there, having the in, in that moment. You know that that's that's magic. Um, but a lot of the functional stuff can also just happen in video conferencing in terms of, you know, talking about collaboration. Um, and Akshat and I have definitely been discussing, well, since 2019, different ways that we can bring our practices together. Um, and, and more recently have been talking about, um, you know, a series of narratives that tie our experiences that, you know, common narratives, um, from, both of our different, you know, cultural and geographical locations that can draw us together. So I think that, you know, around this idea of collaboration is really what, you know, what really resonates with each individual artist. What, what are the, the crossovers and also the divisions, you know, um, between them? You know, they're the interesting points for me and whether that's culturally or with a new technology or a new philosophical concept um, that's ready to investigate and oftentimes working with a really diverse verse group will help me understand it so much more deeply in ways that I never would have imagined. Um, so yeah, I've got very positive feelings from coming from this 2020 that Akshat was talking about where there was more stillness and quiet within many people's practices. I think now we're um, sort of coming out realising that, okay, we've got to deal with this pandemic for, you know, um, for a while more and so we can do a lot on video conferencing, we can get a lot together and we can work in this new normal situation um, and, and still find those, you know, beautiful moments of connection and difference and make art from that.
2: I think uh, Betty just... uh, Maybe we should just have Betty on the podcast. She's just like echoing exactly what I need to say as well. So I'll just maybe let her do all the talking. Um, But no, like like she mentioned, I think there's... um, I'm also extremely... Um, curious about cultures and and perspectives, and I feel like coming from again a music background where you know you 're in a band and you jam together and you feed off the energy of one person to the other. I feel like that part of the practice i 'm really interested in in terms of collaboration, and I feel there 's um, always something new that can come out when even if there's, if there's common ground, then great, but even if there's differing opinion, even better, because that means that there's two sort of chains of thought which are coming together and that can lead to something new, right? Um, and I feel like that in itself, in essence, as collaboration is um, something to look forward to in, in the time coming, because... In a way, the pandemic and the fact that these digital tools and all of these have enabled us, but like Betty mentioned, travel has reduced and you can't really be in physical spaces. And in a way, I feel like limitations are also really good for creative practice because as artists, You know people can just when it's an open-ended canvas or an open-ended plate you can you know your brain can go in a bazillion directions but when you actually limit it and when you put it it sort of filters things out and it forces you to go in certain directions and I feel that can be an interesting um, way to go forward and that would be interesting to see how that manifests in in the tools that are already available and that people are using so um, yeah absolutely I mean uh, and like Betty mentioned we've been speaking about a few ideas which we um, which are Again, drawing from both, um, you know, culturally from the places where we are from, but also on the common ground of the mediums and the work
0: that we do, and there
2: is a lot of synergy there.
0: I, I want to dig slightly deeper into uh, these conversations that the two of you have been having because a huge focus for this podcast and for all of us having these conversations is to better learn the landscape uh, of of opportunities uh, for collaboration between arts practitioners in Australia and India, um, both of which are extremely unique uh, uh, countries with a wealth of cultural um, you know uh, knowledge and depth, uh, but at the the same time are in their own unique ways at the at the cutting edge of of uh, technology intersecting with everyday life. Um, just love to hear your thoughts on what you both feel about uh, future opportunities for collaborations uh, between arts practitioners in Australia and India.
1: Well, Akshat and I have been chatting about this um, collaboration that threads together. Perhaps three narratives um, that speak to a Mumbai Melbourne story. And I really love the feeling of those words in my mouth Mumbai Melbourne. Like it's a great um, kind of connection of words. So these three Mumbai Melbourne narratives um, are really looking at connection points and differences, I guess, in some ways. Um, between our experiences of living in those different places. Um and you know, these are still under discussion, so I'm sort of I'm interested in Akshat, you know, nodding or shaking his head (laughs) as we're sitting here now. (laughs) Because we're all we're just kind of in that wonderful my favourite point of creating an artwork, that wonderful thing of dreaming it up. And it's before you have to get practical and down to all the nuts and bolts and the difficult task of working working out, you know, and uh, how it's going to actually operate with the technology. But these um, these narratives were really around um, looking at how we could scrape, for example, hashtags around um, hate speech and dissent um, from both Mumbai and Melbourne and put them into a generative system. We work with the software touch designer um, and put them into a generative system and create some generative real-time perhaps video artwork that is beautiful and that speaks of love, you know, that generates this feeling of love. So sort of this tipping, you know, these ideas of hatred and dissent into beauty and love.
2: The third idea that Betty was mentioning was, again, through by a story which actually they just told us in the last conversation which we had, and I also wasn't aware of it, and since I've heard that story, it's bl- sort of blown my mind as well, and I'm super intrigued about it, about how the plans for um, CST and the Melbourne station were switched, and as a result, you know the the architectural uh, designs uh, for one place were sent to the other, and that's what the construction led to. Um, and we're also because we're also living in the age of conspiracy theories and fake news. Um, one of the ideas was to maybe make a mockumentary around the many uh, conspiracy theories that could exist around it, and look at it from the, that perspective. Um, and also using some you know, augmented reality filters uh, that, that I'm working with, say, like a face swap filter and, and to kind of integrate that into the context of a mockumentary and conspiracy theory. So um, I think it's really wild um, in terms of what it can be. Um, and I feel like uh, it also represents uh, where we are right now in time, but also culturally, like both countries um, in terms of um, I don't know about Australia that much in terms of how much, how the online space is right now, but I think this idea of trolling and this idea of, you know, dis, uh, you know uh, space for um, constructive con- con- conversation is becoming narrower and narrower, at least in the online space, I feel like it's being more polarized, where there's a right and a left, and there's no middle ground left anymore. And um, I think that kind of, uh, it speaks about that as well. So, yeah, very excited about the three ideas that we have. um, And hopefully some of them, if not all of them can manifest into something in the future.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Just as as you both were talking about it, I can already start piecing together in my mind what this uh, installation or experience uh, would be like. And yeah, definitely a really cool story about uh, Flinders Street Station and CST. On that note, uh, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, but it's been it's been really really uh, eye opening to hear uh, your thoughts as as creators and artists and and what inspires you to create uh, the kind of work that you do and and your interaction with audiences uh, both digitally as well as uh, physically in spaces. Um, yeah, it's just been an absolute pleasure and it's very exciting to hear the projects that both of you have been discussing and ideating and I really do hope that uh, through this podcast and conversations beyond we can we can try and bring uh, some of that work to life and and uh, our listeners can actually uh, get to interact or uh, consume this work uh, at some point in the future. Um, any final thoughts uh, either of you would like to close with?
2: I'll go first,
0: Betty. <laughs> Right at the
2: end. No, thank you for having us, Betty. It's uh, uh, always a pleasure to uh, listen to you speak because you articulate ideas and concepts so wonderfully and beautifully. And um, I think there's uh, a lot of humanity and, um, uh, you know, like substance to the work that you do and the way you express it is really wonderful so thank you for all the amazing insights that you've given uh, me as well on this uh, podcast because there's a lot for me to chew on as well and pages as always wonderful to speak with you thank you so much for all the work you're doing uh, um, and thank you for having me here
1: Yeah, Tejas, really thank you. It's um, been so great to see you again. And thanks for that amazing story about um, the railway stations, like that has just opened up. And I hope that um, as this collaboration continues and this narrative continues to grow, that you continue to be a part of that as well, because you've got some really valuable research with that. So, um, and Akshat, it's really so great to talk ideas with you and to talk projects with you. And I, um, there's so much synergy between our two countries, and there's so many similarities and differences. And um, I think it would be really um, incredible to see a project come out of these conversations.
0: Amazing! That's so so lovely to hear. Um... Yeah, I'm really glad with how the conversation went as well. Uh, One last time, thank you both so much for your time and I wish you all the very best in all the exciting stuff uh, that's going
1: to come next.